0: Hi, I'm Dan Pramack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today is Tuesday, June 8th. Mass shootings are up, lots of websites went down this morning, and we're focused on America's plan to catch up to China. Senate Democrats and Republicans today are expected to overwhelmingly pass a $247 billion spending package that has nothing to do with bridges or roads or social services or COVID recovery. This bill, called the Endless Frontier Act, is about competing with China on technology, which many in Silicon Valley have long worried is a national security threat we haven't taken seriously enough. Most of the money will go to scientific research and development, and that R&D, at least in theory, will ultimately lead to the creation of new businesses in areas like artificial intelligence and quantum computing, areas into which China has been pouring boatloads of money for years, often blurring the lines between military and commercial applications. The rest of the money will go to help U.S. semiconductor companies increase domestic manufacturing so that the key building blocks of everything from our phones to our missile navigation systems aren't being built elsewhere. But despite this bipartisan support, including from Bill co-sponsors Chuck Schumer and Lindsey Graham, there are some concerns that this legislation was cobbled together out of lots of other bills and therefore might not have that same sort of cohesive focus that China has displayed. And then there's also some worry that without more explicit industrial policy, as in giving specific money to specific companies, not even $252 billion is enough to erase China's tech lead. So today we want to speak with Congressman Ro Khanna of California, who sponsored the House version of this bill to better understand what's in it, what's not in it, and where America's tech prowess really stands when matched up to China. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Congressman Ro Khanna of California. Congressman, let's start here. How long have you been worried about Silicon Valley or America's tech sector's ability to compete with China's tech sector?
1: I've been worried uh, since I ran for Congress. I ran on a platform that we need to uh, increase our competitiveness, that we need to win the innovation race. China is putting huge resources in artificial intelligence, in synthetic biology, in quantum computing. Uh, The Endless Frontiers makes a major dent in uh, allowing us to be competitive. Is this bill an admission that we're currently not competitive? No, I I mean, look, we're still leading in many areas. Semiconductors, for example, we have 50% of the market share. China's at 5%. They haven't been able to figure out how to do semiconductors. We still have the cutting edge research when it comes to AI, AI that doesn't require data. We still have the uh, cutting edge innovation uh, on synthetic biology. But China is pouring billions and billions of dollars. And it would be naive to underestimate their ability, uh, especially given the resources they're putting into it. One of the things China does, of course, is, and and
0: this is a U.S. and American phrase, is picks winners and losers in the private sector. It, It decides particular companies to give money to. This bill doesn't do that outside the semiconductor industry in general.
1: Should we be doing that? Well, China has huge problems with that. I mean, you look at Baidu and you can actually bribe people to get your search rankings to be higher. And there's been an enormous amount of waste in China. So I believe uh, our approach, which is to fund the applied research, which is to fund private-public partnerships, is better than just saying we're going to pick winners and, and losers. Now, what I do think we can do is help companies that want to build a factory or want to build a fab uh, to provide loans or purchase agreements. And we ought to be helping with that industrial policy. But we shouldn't be having the government be a venture capitalist. You you talk about manufacturing capacity, semiconductor
0: manufacturing capacity in the U.S., which, again, uh, a lot of this bill is used for. I'm wondering, though, a lot of the raw materials that those chip plants use, even if they're based in your district in California, are coming from China. Does China have kind of this ultimate trump card when it comes to semiconductors because they've actually got a lot of the raw materials that we simply do not have?
1: We're looking to diversify our supply chain, and we ought to be diversifying our supply chain for both semiconductors and for batteries. But ultimately, China is far more dependent right now on us. I mean, 99% of the smartphones are produced by either Apple or Google. They don't have smartphones if it weren't for us. Uh, They have almost no semiconductor industry. So right now, in terms of the dependence, I would argue China is far more dependent on the United States. And you don't want to sever, in my view, the relationship. You just What we want is for the United States to continue To lead in in the way of innovation. You talked at the Open about how
0: this bill is in part a reaction to the way China has been spending when it comes to tech.
1: What, if anything, do you think China's reaction will be to this bill? So the principal reason for the bill, in my view, is that it's going to help create jobs in this country, it's going to help create economic growth, it's going to help left behind communities, create new tech hubs. Now, the fact that it's going to help us continue to lead uh, is very good, but I, I I don't think we should be motivated simply as a response to China. America should innovate and lead and grow in and of itself. I think with China, what this may do is fuel them to have a greater competition, greater resources, and in that sense, there's good for humanity. I mean, uh, competition in terms of innovating uh, in things that are going to be productive as opposed to an arms race uh, is helpful. Maybe it'll lead to new cures of disease. Maybe it'll lead to new innovations. It's interesting you use the arms race analogy.
0: In terms of spending, though, is that how you think this ultimately goes? In other words, the United States continues to increase spending on tech R&D. China continues to increase spending on tech R&D.
1: Well, we have to look at the difference also in the private sector, right? I mean, our private sector R&D dwarfs China's. On, For example, we spend $80 billion on AI in the private sector. China does about $10 I I don't think that China is going to be a near parity on the private sector. But when it comes to the public sector and fundamental research and science and technology, it would be great if we could get to 2% of GDP, which is where we were in the 1960s. And if China wants to get to 2%, I don't know exactly where they are, that's that's... That's good, too. I think that kind of investment is good for the world. The legislation that the Senate is voting on today seems to, in some ways, be kind
0: of a Frankenstein of lots of other bills and and things that got incorporated in. Do you believe it holds together as a cohesive piece of legislation?
1: I think the House is going to take a look at uh, the bill. The endless frontiers, the the, the core of the bill, I believe, will pass and is uh, the National Science Foundation Authorization for Future Act, which Eddie Bernice Johnson's equivalent in the House. uh, That passes. Uh, You know, not the the whole bill isn't going to pass. There are parts of it that uh, shouldn't pass uh, because there are lobbyist insertions or things that, in my view, are too anti-China. What do you think should not be in the bill that's currently in the bill being voted on? I don't want to prejudge the, the house, uh, person, but I, I do think that there are certain restrictions that would make Chinese students coming to the United States, uh, very difficult. That it seems to me to be an overreaction. I mean, I don't think we ought to be. Cutting off scientific exchange with China, but we have to be tough. We don't want to, to make sure we want to make sure our IP isn't uh, stolen and that the benefits of our research stay in the United States. But some of the provisions, I think, are overbroad.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing I know you talked earlier about how in China there, there's been a bunch of waste, but it does feel, and maybe you disagree that their tech policy has been a little bit more coherent than ours has been, or at least has created a more coherent system. Do you agree or disagree with that? And and will this bill
1: create a more coherent system? I disagree with that because the fundamental part of uh, a tech policy in my view having lived in silicon valley is innovation that comes from diversity and i think we benefit from having people from all over the world and some of the best and brightest china doesn't have is not an immigrant nation it doesn't have uh people willing to go there and it's not a free country and it's it's not and those things i think put such fundamental restrictions i think we have to take the competition seriously but ultimately my bet is on pluralistic democracy that has free enterprise Congressman Khanna, final question for you. This is being
0: talked about on Capitol Hill as a jobs bill. And you talked earlier about how this should hopefully lead to lots of jobs in the future rather than kind of an industrial policy bill. So I wonder how might passage of this impact the fate of President Biden's kind of bigger infrastructure slash jobs plans if you're spending a quarter of a trillion dollars now on jobs?
1: Well, I think it should give us hope that we can get big things done. I mean, this is going to be a major bipartisan win for the president. President ran on this. It's a win for the Republicans like Todd Young and Mike Gallagher, who uh, have been working uh, with Senator Schumer and I for two years. And I think it shows that it can be good politics for both parties to come together on some big ideas. Uh, My hope is that this will inspire us to get more things done. Uh, This is a jobs bill with a longer term trajectory. You're not going to create tech hubs tomorrow. But we also Need uh, a more immediate jobs bill, and that's I think what the president is focused on in his plan. Congressman Rokana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I always learn something being on.
0: <laughs> Welcome back. What we're watching today is what Americans can get in exchange for getting a COVID-19 vaccine outside of a life and economy saving medicine. Washington State just launched a program called Joints for Jabs, whereby adults can claim some complimentary pre-rolled cannabis if they get the vaccine. Now, this follows a program announced last week by the White House and Anheuser-Busch, whereby every American can get a free beer if at least 70% of us have gotten at least one shot by July 4th. And one in West Virginia, whereby vaccine recipients can win hunting rifles and trucks and college scholarships. And then Krispy Kreme's promotion, in which it's given away over one and a half million donuts to vaccinated people. And more, don't forget Ohio, a lottery, where tomorrow night they'll announce their third million-dollar winner. And yeah, all of this is incredibly pathetic, the idea that Americans need to be bribed to take a vaccine that people in other countries are desperate for. But that's where we're at, on June 8th, when only 64% of U.S. adults have received at least one jab, a number that won't get any of us a free Budweiser on July 4th. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers Naomi Shaven, Sabina Sangani, and Alex Sugiara. Please be sure to leave us a review, and if you're not already following or subscribing to the podcast, do so. Have a great National Best Friends Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.